morning and welcome to the North Pole and the morning after the night before. I'm Jane Williams and if unlike me you've not been up all night obsessing about swings and seat predictions, then there's only one big takeaway from last night. The Tories are celebrating a historic landslide. Not only that, but their path to victory did, as they hoped, lie through northern seats. The last few hours have been devastating for the Labour Party, with traditional heartland seats including Lee, Don Valley, Bishop Auckland, Hayward and Middleton, Workington and Great Grimsby all falling into Conservative hands. In Greater Manchester alone, the party more than doubled its seat tally. Here's Niall Griffith speaking to us earlier on from the count in Lee, where Andy Burnham's former seat fell to the Tories for the first time in a century. And then our reporter Tom George talking to us from Bolton, where Labour failed in a concerted attempt to take Bolton West before instead losing Bolton North East to the Conservatives. Tonight, the Conservatives have caused a major upset in one of uh, the seats in Labour's heartlands and have broken the party's hold on Lee. Uh, for the first time in 92 years, a Tory councillor, James Grundy, who had also uh, run for election 2017, ousted Joe Platt um, and secured uh, under half of the votes to do so. Prior to uh, the results themselves, you know, there were concerns over Brexit and indifference towards the Labour leadership. And that caused some concern amongst the Labour ranks um, that it was, you know, slowly losing its grip on Lee. Mr Grundy uh, will become the town's first ever Tory MP. And quite interestingly, uh, he said that it was not his opponent, Joe Platt's fault that she lost the seat, but it was in fact uh, Jeremy Corbyn's. And he was very frank in his in his remarks, saying this shouldn't be considered a fault on Joe's behalf. 99 times out of 100, Joe would have carried Lee. On this occasion, it was not to be because of anger over Brexit and anger Jeremy Corbyn. Let us be clear, it's his fault that Joe lost. Uh, Joe Platt obviously uh, took over in 2017 from Andy Burnham, who was now the Greater Manchester Mayor, having served just over a decade as MP in Lee. The uh, 21,226 votes secured by Mr Grundy uh, was a marked improvement on the 16,793 he received in 2017. And at the time, that was the highest number of votes secured by the Tories in Lee since 1979. Um, so big gains there. And, you know, similarly, uh, he mentioned the reason for um, Labour's failure to hold on to the seat. Brexit, um, getting Brexit done. That is one of the things he stood on as well as fixing the town of Lee. He said that he intends to stand by that promise and work will start tomorrow. And uh, he closed his victory speech by saying, my door will be open to anyone from any party because this is no longer a one-party town. Um, Miss Platt, uh, who uh, won just over half of the votes in 2017, saw her vote cut down by more than a quarter to 19,301 at this election. When I spoke to her, um, she said there's a lot of anger, uh, that she, she's met with a lot of anger speaking to the people in Lee. And with the exit polls sort of ringing in everyone's ears, um, she predicted a traumatic night for Labour and urged the party to stop navel-gazing and to start understanding why people were turning away from the party, reacting to the outcome of the results, uh, which devastated many of the supporters and close family. Um, she, she said, I'm devastated for the people of Lee. Obviously, there are other parties in play, apart from Labour and the Tories. Um, James Melly of the Brexit Party came third. Uh, while Mark Clayton of the Liberal Democrats, who had also run in 2017, uh, came fourth. Uh, behind those two uh, was the independent candidate Maureen O'Byrne and uh, Leon Peters of UKIP. Uh, turnout in Lee was slightly lower this time around, uh, 60.9% compared to 61.5% in 2017. But uh, oddly enough, the number of votes rose um, from 46 978 to 47, 150. Many have predicted that even 
some uh, people in the Labour Party, uh, obviously concerns over Brexit and Jeremy Corbyn, uh, but still it was such a surprise on the night. It, it was it was very surreal sort of looking around and seeing so many uh, grim faces wearing red rosettes and just a lot of cheering Tory supporters. Um, so yeah, you know, many people saw it coming. Uh, most recent polling said that Labour just had it a few points ahead, but the exit polls tonight point to that being too close to call. And in the end, there was only um, a thousand or so sort of votes between them. And I do by, hereby declare that Mark Rory Logan is duly elected. Well, I've been at the, the election count in Bolton this evening and the, the main shock of the, the, big, the biggest result of the evening um, was that veteran Labour MP David Crosby lost his seat after 22 years. It's been a tra- traditionally quite a safe seat for Labour, but it was taken by Mark Logan for the Conservatives this evening. Uh, I spoke to David Crosby afterwards and he put the result down to Brexit and also said that voters on the doorstep had expressed concerns about Jeremy Corbyn didn't feel that they were able to vote for him. Now, he also said that the result wasn't much of a surprise, really, and that it was kind of something that he'd expected following conversations that he'd had during the campaign. Elsewhere in, in uh, the count this evening, Bolton West, that was a seat that Labour had targeted. It's a previously a Conservative marginal, and the Tories held on to that. Chris Green got an increased majority there of around 8,000. Um, and that was that was a disappointing result for Labour, as it sort of reflected across the country in these seats that they'd hoped to, they'd put their resources into targeting seats such as this that they wanted to take. Um, when some on the ground were sort of criticising the fact that they hadn't been trying to defend their own marginals, um, and th- this was one of those that was a, a particularly big disappointment. You could tell for Julie Hilling, who has previously been the MP for the area. Um, this was the third time now that she'd lost out to Chris Green. Um, Bolton South East, that was a seat that Labour couldn't gone to, but their majority was almost cut in half from about 13,000 down to um, just over 7,000 there. So the Conservatives were really happy about that. Despite the fact they didn't take the seat, they were sort of took that as a sign that across the, the entire town of Bolton, that people had sort of turned their back on Labour. This this is t- traditionally a, a town that has returned Labour MPs in the past, and now you've only got one remaining, and their majority's been cut in half. I spoke to the to the to the candidate afterwards, Conservative candidate in Bolton South East, and he said that he was really pleased, and he was actually looking forward to coming back in five years. His uh, exact words were that if, if Labour didn't ship um, ship up in the next few years, then he'd be back to take the seat from them. So many of us had heard the rumblings of this earthquake while out and about on streets in this election as voters expressed antipathy towards Jeremy Corbyn and support for Boris Johnson's get Brexit done message, even if that backing was often lukewarm. Earlier on, I spoke once more to Jerry Scott, Westminster correspondent of the Yorkshire Post, about the resulting domino effect in God's own country. So um, give us the top line uh, from your neck of the woods. This is basically the Conservative Red Wall strategy being pulled off, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking, God, on all the times that I've come on this podcast and we've all been speaking in our kind of individual publications about um, the Tories' strategy to target these Labour seats. And they seem to have pulled it off in Yorkshire as we speak, and not all seats have come back yet, but as we speak, um, the Tories have taken nine Labour seats and... Um, in the seats that they've held, they've 
largely increased their majorities as well. So it's been a successful night for them in Yorkshire. Yeah, I mean, I think um, all of us were particularly wary of issuing predictions during this campaign, weren't we? I know in, in 2017, I had a lot of Labour te- people telling me that they were on course for a hor- horrific result and, you know, all these seats in Greater Manchester were going to go. So this time it was kind of really hard to know whether people were being overly gloomy and whether their own sort of data could even be trusted. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet, actually, this time, some of the jitters, such as, I mean, in our neck of the woods, places like Lee, um, turned out to be absolutely bang on. Did did the scale of the Labour collapse surprise you in Yorkshire? Um, Yes and no. I mean, this is what we've been talking about the whole time. And like you say, you're wary to make predictions. But the Labour activists I've been speaking to on the ground this whole election have been saying exactly the same thing throughout that. Brexit isn't going down well and that Jeremy Corbyn as a leader isn't going down well either. So I'm not overly surprised to hear that those are the two sticking points that people have been quoting tonight or overnight as well. Um, God knows what time it is. Um, But so I guess I guess no, I wasn't really surprised. I think it was some of the numbers actually that majorities were increased by that I was shocked shocked by but if you look at places like Leeds the Labour vote held up pretty well so it's not it's not bad news from everywhere do you I mean have you got any sense now of where um Labour goes in terms of rebuilding and what would be a sort of a sensible course of action in terms of regrouping and um working out how to take on this this kind of new conservative animal that has um that has emerged from this election um, and, and do you think that, I mean, there seems to be some debate going on about actually how long Jeremy Corbyn will, will stay in place, but sort of beyond Jeremy Corbyn, which presumably is relatively short term, um, what might happen next in terms of leadership? Yeah, so I think if Labour are going to win back the seats they've lost or even just the voters they've lost, you know, this in, we've heard Boris Johnson making his victory speech just now, and he is very aware that a lot of the votes that he's picked up are votes that have just been lent. They have not been given. They are people that are likely or possibly will go back to Labour the next time the country goes to the polls. So there is a chance that Labour can get those votes back, but they really do need to take a long, hard look at how they treat the communities that they have traditionally been strong in. You know, people feel ignored by government in general. People feel ignored by London. And most recently, in recent years, they felt ignored by their Labour Party as well. And that has just made the perfect storm for people turning away from a party they don't feel like they can trust, they don't feel like they can put their faith in, and they don't feel like they're a part of anymore. So I think it really needs to be, you know, a bottom-up look at how they can reconnect with those communities and offer things that make people want to vote for them again. It's it's all very well, Jeremy Corbyn saying this morning that they had excellent policies that people loved, but that's just clearly not true because people haven't voted for them. Oh, well, quite absolutely. I also think there's another kind of factor with some of the areas that we're talking about. Um, It is about neglect and it is about um, feeling that they've been uh, abandoned not only by whoever's in government at the moment, but also kind of Labour at a grassroots level. And I think that probably applies to some some, some extent to local government. But there's also, like, there's, there's, it seems to me that there's a little bit of a sense of being patronised as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and being told what you should think and what you should want and actually a kind of lack of 
emotional connection now between the Labour Party and some of the people in these areas that's been breaking down for like really quite a long time. And then Brexit was a tipping point and then kind of the floodgates opened at this election because Boris Johnson was able to tap in quite successfully to that, at least in the short term anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, you know, it remains to be seen over the next few years, whether that will be short term, long term or or what will happen. But there's going to have to be a lot of soul searching in Labour and the new leader, whoever it is, is going to have a real job on their hands to kind of grapple control of the party back from, you know, the, the, the wing that really supports Corbyn and will be really sad to see him go. And so it's going to be an interesting few days, weeks, months years isn't it you know we go on forever it is just uh just finally so as to not um solely dwell on the uh absolutely devastating night that labor had <laughs> um was that were there any success stories for anyone other than the conservatives in your neck of the woods were there any other surprises um anybody that that kind of came through in a way that was sort of um worthy of a headline yeah i mean sheffield hallam as ever is an interesting constituency i mean it's we are still looking at labor there but it was really expected that the lib dems would take that seat it was jared amara um previously and the lib dem candidate there law gordon has been doing a lot of constituency work a lot of casework kind of for free kind of being the facto mp everyone had kind of assumed she was the shoe in but labor have taken that um olivia blake's taken that seat so it seems like the people in Sheffield Hallam have kind of put aside that Jared was initially a Labour MP and um, their faith in them again, which will have been a silver lining, but um, probably doesn't make up for the losses elsewhere. It's also maybe um, this kind of pattern we're seeing towards um, Labour increasing its votes in um, in in cities and in kind of graduate heavy parts of cities, isn't it? Which, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. in these kind of southern parts of Manchester, um, our MPs have been getting back in with similar majorities to last time. In, in, in Withington, it was a majority of nearly 30,000, which is the same as in 2017. So I think that's the the other issue that you're kind of seeing playing out, isn't it? As we've said before, the North isn't one homogenous mass, but there's a certain kind of seat that the Tories have kind of successfully managed to take from Labour. So joining me on the line is Professor Andrew Russell of the University of Liverpool once again, who has very kindly agreed to chat to me after pulling an all-nighter talking about the election at BBC Radio Manchester. So between us, I'm not sure who will be the less coherent. Hi, Andrew. How are you feeling? Good morning, Jenna. I'm, I'm being fired, fired up by, by, by caffeine, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure how, how, how much sense I'm making, and I'm looking forward to some sleep at some point in the near future. <laughs> but uh, but it's, been an, it's been an exciting night, fueled by adrenaline, I suppose. Yeah, it has. Mine's also been fueled by kind of random flapjack and other strange kind of election night snacks, which probably weren't uh, best thought out. But um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I think I'm heading for a sugar crash. But um, yeah, so quite a result last night. I think um, it's fair to say that our focus on the North over the last few weeks has probably um, uh, been been shown to have been uh, a, a good strategy, given how key these northern battlegrounds actually ended up being to the Tory majority. But did you expect the scale of this, though? I mean, were you surprised when you saw that exit poll come through? 
I mean, I think the phrase that I'd, I'd use was that, I mean, we're talking to lots of Labour politicians last night, some of whom had scraped home and some of whom hadn't. There was a kind of shock, but not a surprise, if, if that makes sense. That I think that, you know, the, 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 there was a sense that something was happening and it wasn't going to be good for, for, for Labour, but the absolute unfolding disaster in, in the North, uh, um, um, you know, was not anticipated on that scale. And I think that was the, that was the shock. And, and actually, if you look at the advances that the Conservatives made in the North, they weren't that great in terms of the the, the, the positives uh, the, the, the positive moves towards the Conservatives in terms of the, the vote share gains. The story was that the collapse, the, the the collapse, or the, the you know the, the strong decay of the Labour vote, and in lots of those areas there was a a, a significant performance by the Brexit Party, um, um, which which was enough to provide a, you know maybe a halfway house to those people that didn't want to didn't want to, to defect straight from the Conservative uh, from, from Labour to the Conservatives. And you couple that with a kind of perfect storm of the, the Liberal Democrats being sort of two or three points higher than they were in 2017, and that was just enough to to stop the uh, uh, to, to, to stop Labour to stop Labour pretty much everywhere. And so, if you look at the North, all of the targets we thought the Conservatives might have a chance of sneaking through, they pretty much came through in all of them. It's almost like a Donald Trump swing state kind of scenario. Where, you know, the, you know, every single one of those kind of toss up toss up contests went in favour of the Conservatives and that was the surprise. Yeah, they really did, didn't they? Like every one of these northern seats that you'd kind of seen profiles of and heard come up during conversations on late night TV shows, like they all kind of went, didn't they? And and that, um, it's interesting that what we, I think what we've talked about before in the podcast, this idea that some Labour voters try previously tribal Labour voters up here couldn't necessarily bring themselves to go Conservative but could do the halfway house of the Brexit party and that was kind of like that actually was something that did end up playing out. Do you, I notice certainly on our patch that the turnout in the areas where the Tories took seats from Labour, the leave, you know, these leave seats was actually down. Do you think any of it was that um, partly Labour voters simply staying at home and allowing uh, others to do the voting for them? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a part of that, and 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 that again is an important part of Labour not not reaching the the, the vote share that they had reached in a in a in, in 2017. That the, you know that some Labour voters just didn't feel enthusiastic enough to come out and and, and vote vote Labour you know with their hearts, even if they even if they didn't didn't feel that they could that they could uh, uh, um, actually vote for a different party. Uh, uh, they're not voting at all. I'm sure there's some of that as well, um, but you know just the you know, the essence was just. The, 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 the labor the labor vote was 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 down across the board and it's down from 2017 which is of course even though they kind of thought of themselves as the moral victor, moral victors it's a, it's an election that labor lost and so that you know it, it's not a very high high mark and in fact one of the one of the stories of this election isn't that the Tories retook the places that labor won unexpectedly in 2017 is that the, the Tories started to take seats that they'd never won from labor or certainly not not in the lifetime so places like you know, Lee in Greater Manchester in Wigan you know the first time since 1922 you know that it's not not being it's not returned to Labour MP. It, it, it's uh, you know, uh, and we're and we're seeing just you know, uh, um, you know, the people are waking up for the first time in their life with a with a conservative with a conservative representative as their MP. 
I'm glad you mentioned Lee, actually, because um, it kind of strikes me as being one of the sort of more psychologically damaging losses for Labour um, in that, you know, it's never had a Conservative MP. Also, there's the Andy Burnham link. But there's also, I noticed the number of people, when I very tentatively mentioned during the campaign on Twitter that, you know, there was some jitters there, people were like absolutely gobsmacked they were replying saying like that's just ridiculous I'm from there like that's not there's no way that's ever going conservative and actually when the result came out tonight by that point I wasn't hugely surprised and I dare say maybe you weren't by that point either but again I put the put the results out and again all these people replying saying but that's just insane like absolutely insane there's something about that particular loss um that I think is particularly painful um, and also, for some reason, I haven't seen it mentioned an awful lot so far in, in, in national in national commentary. Um, I think it plays to this sense that there's a real kind of existential crisis going on now in the Labour Party, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it, it's totemic of the uh, of of the, of their defeat. It's a sim- it's a symbol of just how bad you know, bad place you know the, the the position that they find themselves in has become that they couldn't even you know retain somewhere that they've held since you know for you know for for for, for, for ninety seven yeah, years and so therefore it, yeah, yeah and it asks really fundamental questions about what Labour are for right now. So on the one hand that you know you know you know how can Labour kind of strike this balancing act where they're looking for for new voters they're trying to persuade the people to come into a kind of social agenda that that, that, that that's fairly progressive and uh, and, uh, and 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 concentrates on welfare but at the same time connects to a traditional labor uh, labor party uh, a core um, which is feeling increasingly disconnected not just from the L- London and the Westminster bubble but also some of the big cities you know so, uh, and places you know if, if you know as, as we as we said on our very first podcast you know if, if you live in greater Manchester you might not feel that much affinity with Manchester itself because life there is organized very differently to the life in which the life in which you live uh, and, and how your life is uh, how your life is organized and I think that you know labor would do well to take their time just to just to to kind of cogitate and, and reflect on what that means and, and what that means for their future uh, you know as a potential party of government but also as a, a, a or, or maybe as a camp as a campaigning body in order to influence the political agenda as part of a as part of a as part of a wider kind of a coalition of ideas. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's uh, it's not as though these um, these sort of trends and these worries within the Labour Party are new. They don't even just date back to Brexit. They predate Brexit. This sense that, you know, that there is a disenfranchisement and it isn't just between, uh, you know, Lee and London, it's between Lee and Manchester. And this is something that um, uh, Lisa and Andy has talked about quite a lot, isn't it? Um, and I think it's interesting because I wonder how much the Conservatives actually in their bones understand the things that they've tapped into it's possible maybe that Dominic Cummings instinctively understands those things but I wonder whether the politicians who are going to be coming in and running the show in the Conservative government whether they actually understand the dynamics that they're talking about and the communities they're talking about given that they've never represented them before and before this election they've largely not really campaigned in them either like do you think there's a risk that actually this isn't a long-term realignment and that if they don't manage to do a bit more than just getting Brexit over the line that those votes go back again yeah i mean it, it could easily be the case that it's more luck than judgment uh, and and the, the one thing that worries me uh, as a strategy strategy any strategy which kind of is predicated on things being easy that there being a, a simple set of solutions like get brexit done you know once people find once people invest in times and perhaps 
indulging behaviours that they've not indulged in before, such as you know, uh, uh, um, you know, voting for a completely different party. If they then feel that that's an, a failed experiment and things don't change dramatically, then the sense of resentment they feel right now may be nothing to the sense of resentment that they might feel in a few years' time if they feel ignored by another party as well. So I, th- I, so, so I think I, I think that I think there's a cost on the on the Conservative victors here, you know, and and, and you know, and, and maybe we'll we'll find you know there's a whole bunch of new northern representatives new northern tories who are going to have to try and influence their party and agenda about transport and about jobs and about infrastructure that you know that their party didn't seem that interested in a week a week and a half ago uh, and now has got to be very interested even with that stonking new majority you know the north maybe have to be taken seriously by the conservatives in government as well as the conservatives at the, at the electoral context uh, level yeah, I can. I, I totally agree with that. And I suppose, you know, in an ideal world, that's kind of how democracy is supposed to work, isn't it? There's suddenly a load of uh, uh, MPs in government that are based in these places that they weren't before. And I suppose in that respect, maybe we are going through a process of electoral realignment. But at the same time, I kind of think like, apart from get Brexit done, we don't really know what it is that Boris Johnson intends to use his power to do so it's actually really hard to predict what may or may not um come out of this for those communities and as you say i suppose if nothing comes out of it then all you're doing is kicking that resentment further and further down the road um until something so until it erupts somewhere as i guess as it did in the in the brexit referendum just a f- final question for you um what why do you think and I'm, we're not here to do a kind of an inquest on the polling but i think it's interesting that the the first mrp poll that you did fairly accurately predicted what was going to happen and then the second one suggested that things were going to be much tighter what do you think might have been going on there yeah, well, I, th- I think at some point, you know, you might think of the, uh, of the polls as, a, as an agenda-setting item as well. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I think the polls did narrow, and we did see, we did see, you know, people could have changed their mind during the campaign, and if they'd have voted a week ago, it might have been different, or you know, or, you know, or you know, um, I mean, I suppose the postal votes might mean that some people voted much earlier than we we, we think everybody made up their mind on Wednesday, Thursday, but you know, things might have been set a lot earlier. We spoke to last night when I was on the radio up here. We we we, we spoke to a, a quite a few candidates. And we said to them, well, you know, you, you, you're, you're fighting this traditionally hopeless seat and you've won it. When did you realise that you were, in, you were in with a chance of winning? And a couple of those candidates were really candid about the prospect that, you know, they had not anticipated being MPs two weeks ago. Um, but but they but one of the things that he said is it was that MRP poll, the first one, that actually gave them the boost. They thought things were going well and suddenly there was this external validation that actually things were not just going well. They were going to, uh, they were po- they were poised to, to, to pull off the shock and that, that gave them enthusiasm that gave their, gave gave their volunteers enthusiasm to go out and knock on more doors and it also gave the the other side of fright as well that you know the, the, the things were things things were things were they were really up against it and and one of the reactions to that may have been just a kind of a, a sense of oh it's all going terribly wrong for us so it demoralized your, their opponents but it really invigorated yeah and it gave them uh, some momentum probably not the best phrase to be using at this stage of proceedings So that's it, finally, in what has felt like a very long election campaign. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to the North Pole over the course of the last six weeks, but I have to say I am now going to be very grateful for a well-earned break from politics. Thanks to all the guests who've joined us and to you for tuning in. The North Pole has been a laudable production and a collaboration between newspapers including the Manchester Evening News, Liverpool Echo and the Yorkshire Post. 